Good morning to you folks. Happy Sunday morning. Larry G. Maguire here, writer and artist from LarryGMaguire.com. You're listening to The Daily Larm. Today is episode 104. And this morning we are uh, out uh, on a sunny, grassy field. It's, well, I'm not. I'm in my car recording this <laughs> at the moment. But uh, out at a rugby match, Young Keane is playing a game. And... Uh, just doing a warm-up at the moment. Figured I'd take the opportunity to uh, whack up an old intro to today's Sunday Letters. Sunday Letters is coming up soon. It's the weekly newsletter I send out to my uh, readers. And I narrate it uh, here on the podcast to let you listen to. Uh, and then I drop the embed, embed player into uh, the article. And uh, you, get, you get to listen or, or read whatever tickles your fancy. Uh, today's episode, I'm talking about uh, obedience to authority, and uh, I'm wondering why that is, or why that occurs. Uh, there is uh, tons of research on this subject, and uh, I'm delving into a little bit of that today. Uh, a psychologist by the name of Zimbardo has done a lot of work on it, and uh, I'm referencing some of that material. In particular, uh, the Stanford prison experiment. Uh, Zimbardo built a mock prison in the basement of uh, the university. Very, uh, quite ethically um, uh, questionable uh, experiment. But valuable nonetheless uh, in terms of figuring out why human beings do what they do or why we do what we do. When we enter into group scenarios, uh, when we put on uniforms, when we assume roles, you know, it's almost like we uh, forego our everyday personality, our ordinarily sane and respectful and pleasant personality to assume this role. And um, we all do it. And I want to share that story with you today. Uh, I'm going to share a couple other stories about obedience too and conformity. Um, because, you see, uh, it's a dangerous thing. And it can lead to all kinds of uh, craziness in our society. And it's something um, that artists are perhaps maybe a little bit more distant distant from than the general population. Because... I believe to be an artist, you must be capable of living within your own self, even when you're in crowds, and finding a place where you can disconnect and remove yourself from the group think, you know, from the mass consciousness of people, in order to create what it is you want to create. And uh, it's only when we bring it back then that we we mix with other people and there's a responsibility therefore you know i believe on the creative on the artist to be non-conformist to bring stuff back to everyone else that says hey check this out and almost shock them into questioning their own ideals and own views on how things should be do you understand what i mean it's uh, it's not good enough to just row in with everybody else because 
how do we ever get better? How do we ever improve? How do we ever change the things that are maybe questionable about how we run this society? If someone doesn't stand up and say, hold on a minute, this is bullshit, you know? And we can do that through the work we create. We can do that through the books we write, through the paintings we paint, through the music we write. And uh, I think it's an invaluable resource for humanity, creativity and art. And that's why I'm writing the Artist Manifesto. So when I look at, um, when I study this phenomena of human behaviour, uh, group mentality, obedience to uh, authority, it really fascinates me. And I love to question it. I suppose I've been, I've always been somebody who doesn't like the group think, you know. Um, I've always, when I was a kid I had this canvas bag. Uh, it was a yellow canvas bag and you'd buy them in army bargains. You could get them in black, you'd get them in grey, yellow, green. And uh, all the cool kids had these bags, you know, I had one. Because uh, I was fucking cool, right? <laughs> and on the bag, you know, you'd write, you'd draw in your, you know, the logos of your favourite bands. And you'd write C&D on it and you'd, you'd, uh, you'd draw all kinds of weird stuff. And uh, I wrote Fuck the System on the bag when I was about 13 or 14, you know, and my parents were... Um, I suppose a little bit disturbed by this, you know. But uh, I've always been that way. I always will, and uh, that's why I don't. Uh, although I can work well in, um, I can work well in groups. I can. Uh, I, I don't like, I don't like being a part of large groups, uh, mindless groups. You know, when you when you go to let's say, uh, uh, an area where there's a large amount of people. Let's say you go to a game. And there's like thousands of people, even hundreds of thousands of people, and you're all corralled to behave in a particular way. You walk this way, walk through the barrier, queue up here. I can't stand that. I really can't. But when I'm in a small group of people with a with a collective uh, goal, and we're moving towards that goal, like in college when we do an assignment, well then, that's cool. I work well there. Um, but I, I can't stand crowds, mindless crowds. It's like, get me out of here. I just can't stand it. Um, I like to uh, roam my own boat. That's why I work for myself, I suppose. So today I'm looking at the Zimbardo Stanford prison experiment. I'm looking at uh, uh, one of his colleagues. Some Well, actually, they worked on several studies themselves. And this guy, another guy, uh, Haney, I think. Is it Philip Haney? I can't remember. Paul Haney, perhaps. Um, he led up another study in which Zimbardo was involved too, so we're going to take a look at that. And the remarkable thing is, right, if you go on, um, if you go on TED Talks, the we- the website, you'll see the you'll see the talk by uh, Zimbardo about obedience, and he refers to Abu Ghraib. You remember the the uh, scenario that came into the news a few years ago about the the prison officers in Abu Ghraib and their treatment of the prisoners and how outraged everybody was by that and, and they went on trial and all that kind of stuff. But what's remarkable about that is that the military at the time didn't take responsibility for what went on. They passed it on to uh, these soldiers, uh, army reservists actually, uh, on a particular cell, a particular cell block in the prison and said, oh, these guys are all bad apples in the barrel, you know, when in fact they knew the psychological scenario, the, the 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 actual environment was ripe for that. And they knew this because they had actually commissioned 
Zimbardo and Haney to conduct these experiments, the military and the navy, to find out more about how people behave in these scenarios. So they knew. And they just blatantly told lies about it and let these soldiers take responsibility. Outrageous stuff. Anyway, I might get into that a little bit too. So um, it's your responsibility as a creative. This is, what, this is what the bottom line is. It's your responsibility as an artist, as a creative, to break the fucking rules. It's one of the three principles I tell my kids that they must remember in life. Break the rules. Continually break the rules and question the authority of those who would say you should do X, Y and Z. Because they're full of shit, basically. And uh, without breaking the rules, nothing changes. It's one of the three core principles of living a successful life. Breaking the rules. Keep breaking them. So, uh, I love this subject. I'm really passionate about it. You know, I love telling people to fuck off. <laughs> it's fucking... It's, <laughs> it, it energises me. No, I'm not doing it. Fuck yourself. You know what I mean? It's, you've got to do it. Do you see what I mean? You've got to do this. Rowing in with everybody else and just doing what everyone else does is not good enough. That's mindless stuff. You've got to be able to think for yourself. Sunday Letters is coming up. I'm talking about this subject. I love it. Coming up soon. Check it out. Alright? See you in a bit. Welcome to Sunday Letters. I'm Larry G. McGuire. It's the 25th of February, 2018. Challenging Authority. The Creative Imperative. Challenging authority at all levels is vital in our building of a healthy society, and for the creative there is hardly a greater imperative. In systems of educational, national and local government, in work environments, sports clubs and organisations, wherever there are those who would assume authority over others, there must be those who are willing to challenge them no matter what. There must be, in the creative, the dissenter, the non-conformist, someone who is willing to stand up against authority despite its weight of opposition, and the indifference of the mass masses, women and men who are prepared to highlight social injustices through their work, no matter how much negative sentiment they invite on themselves. For where authority is allowed to exercise its power with impunity, people will suffer. Just like generations of people did in my country under the immoral and insidious gaze of the Catholic Church, creative people are born nonconformists. They are catalysts for change, for change and must exercise their moral and creative obligation to break the rules of static and often oppressive circumstances at every opportunity. The Artist's Duty In the Artist's Manifesto you will read The role of the creative nonconformist is fundamental to the artist's duty. I don't know about you, but if I find myself in a situation where obvious problems exist, I'm compelled to open my mouth. Now that can be disturbing for others around me because I'm not supposed to rock the boat. We're all supposed to keep our mouths shut, aren't we? Say nothing, keep your head down and it will go away. Get what you have to do done and don't bring attention to yourself because if you do, you're risking everything. That's the unspoken rule. These informal standard behaviours come from a need to have approval and acceptance from the group. To oppose them is to bring unwanted attention to us from authorities and risk isolation. To be isolated is to be alone and to be alone is to not exist. Seriously though, apathy towards unwanted circumstances and adherence to authority completely inflame me. I have a significant disregard for authority, and always have. There is nothing healthier and more energising to me than to graciously present the middle finger to those who would insist that you and I do what we are told. No, not going to happen here. The Schoolboy Revolution, circa 1986 
when I was a boy in school, around 13 or 14 years old, I had a yellow canvas school bag. All the cool kids had these bags. We'd buy them from Army Bargains on Little Mary Street in Dublin, and we'd use different colour pens and markers and tipex to write slogans and draw logos of bands all over them. I wrote, Fuck the System, down the side in big black letters. Needless to say, that didn't go down too well with my parents. He's a rebel without a cause, I heard my mother say to her neighbour one Saturday afternoon. Jesus, that's so embarrassing, I said to myself quietly. She hasn't got a clue. I'd hear the wall play over and over in my head as I dreamed of a schoolboy revolution in the St. Vincent's yard. I would see myself play electric guitar, calling all the kids to revolt against their oppressive school system. Teachers would be rounded up. They'd be made pay for their oppression of the kids, for pinning us to walls by the scruff of our collars for minor indiscretions. It never happened, though. The revolution never came either. What makes us relinquish to authority? Why are we so willing to conform to authority? Why do we give up our individuality for the sake of group identity? What is it about uniforms and other symbols of authority that makes people go placid and accepting of ordinarily unacceptable behaviour? Psychologist Stanley Milgram asked this question in the wake of the atrocities carried out by the Nazi regime during World War II on the ethnic minorities of Europe. Milgram wanted to understand why ordinarily compassionate, stable people blindly adhered to authority, often, car often carrying out acts against their otherwise better judgment. He conducted an experiment where participants were falsely told they were examining the effects of punishment on learning ability. The experiment included instructors, experimenters, teachers, participants and students, actors. All participants were assigned the role of teacher, the student or actor, was placed in an adjoining room out of sight but within earshot of the teacher and instructor. The instructor ordered the teacher to ask preset questions of the student and upon receiving a wrong answer, they were to administer an electric shock, fake, to the student. The fake electric shock ranged from 15 volts to 450 volts and was to be increased by the teacher every time the student gave a wrong answer. As the shock level increased, the student, actor, made audible their fake discomfort and pain Despite this, 65% of the teachers continued delivering the electric shocks, even though they knew that the subject was in pain. Some participants questioned whether they should continue, out of obvious concern for the student, but did so upon continued instruction from the authority figure. Popular expert opinion at the time held that only 1% of the population were capable of such obscenities as seen in Europe during the Nazi regime. The results of the study found this to be grossly inaccurate. The study's participants, ordinary Americans, put aside their better judgment in favour of obedience to the authority figure. This was, of course, as they thought, at the expense of the well-being of their fellow human beings. Milgram found that, that people would suspend personal values, core principles and proper judgment for fear of reprisal or desire to remain cooperative to the authority. The Stanford Prison Experiment Although highly unethical, Milgram's wasn't the only study that showed our blind obedience to authority. Shit got heavy in the basement of Stanford University in the summer of 1973, when Craig Haney, Curtis Banks and Philip Zimbardo took things to a whole other level. If Stanley Milgram got heat over his 1963 study on obedience, he was to be dethroned by Zimbardo and the Stanford prison experiment ten years later. It is believed that when Milgram met Zimbardo in a Stanford University hallway, he thanked him for taking the spotlight. 
the Stanford Prison Experiment was and still is the subject of ethical debate around the, around the treatment of human beings in scientific research. Subsequent to the publication of the study's findings, ethical guidelines were radically altered for the better, thankfully. The Prison Experiment The experiment was put in advert in the local paper seeking participants to take part, part in a scientific study of prison life. 22 males, mostly white, were chosen for participation based on successful completion of a questionnaire to establish mental and physical suitability. The men were divided equally and randomly assigned roles as either guard or prisoner. A fake prison was built in a 35-foot section of the basement of Stanford University to mimic as close as possible the environment of a prison. Doors to small lab rooms were replaced with steel doors with bars. A small dark closet was used as solitary confinement and very basic living conditions were afforded. Guards worked on a shift basis. Prisoners remained in the prison 24 hours a day. Prisoners were given a number, had their normal clothes replaced with a gown-type muslin smock, had no underwear and had a chain locked to their ankle. Guards wore a military-style uniform, had a nightstick and whistle and wore mirrored glasses. The uniforms were designed to reinforce power and authority in the guards and the dehumanisation and deindividuation in the prisoners. There are times when external circumstances can overwhelm us and we do things we never thought. If you're not aware that this can happen, you can be seduced by evil. We need inoculations against our own potential for evil. We have to acknowledge it. Then we have to change it. Dr. Philip Zimbardo The guards were told to enforce their authority any way they saw fit without inflicting physical harm on the prisoners. Prisoners were referred to only by their numbers. After the first day, the experimenters wondered if the experiment would be a waste of time given the passive nature of everyone involved. However, it only took another day for guards and prisoners to begin acting out their respective roles. Shortly afterwards, extreme pathological effects began to emerge in both guards and prisoners. Long story short, after only six, six days, Zimbardo was urged by his girlfriend to call off the study due to the extent of negative psychological effects on the prisoners and guards. Aggressive behaviour gradually escalated to the point where they all recognised the conditions to be highly unethical and damaging to all involved. Such was the effect their roles and the environment had on them. Who is responsible? The Stanford Prison Experiment and Milgram's Obedience Study serve to illustrate the nature of the human condition and our propensity for adherence to rules enforced by authority. It is disturbing to see what human beings are capable of doing to each other. It is perhaps, perhaps even more disturbing to know that organisations, both public and private, utilise the knowledge gained from these studies and other studies to extend their reach and influence over people. They know what we human beings will essentially do, what we are told given the appropriate environment, to such an extent that we will inflict terrible atrocities upon each other in order that the rules be upheld. Authority will then distance itself from the moral crime and announce the perpetrators, the foot soldiers, as the bad seeds. Zimbardo reminds us that people, the seeds, are not inherently evil. They are rather, in large part, the product of the environment, the soil. He says it is the responsibility of the makers of the systems to ensure that the systems do not encourage adverse behaviour. Bullies may be the perpetrators of evil, but it is the evil of passivity of all those who know what is happening and never intervene that perpetuates such abuse. Dr. Philip Zimbardo. A final word. I gave my boys three rules for living a successful and happy life. 
Those rules are 1. Break the rules. 2. Don't get caught. 3. Respect all living things on the planet. Do what your heart tells you you must do and most importantly accept the consequences of your actions. Once you drop a cake on the floor there's no putting it back together. We creative people have a moral and ethical obligation to challenge the status quo at every opportunity. Authority must not be given free rein to go unquestioned. Never accept blame for responses. Use your art to break the rules. Hey folks, you've just been listening to episode 104 of the Daily Larb. I'm Larry G. McGuire, writer and artist over at LarryGMcGuire.com. If you'd like to read today's article, get over to my site. It's top of the blog feed on the homepage. And uh, in that article, you'll get uh, a link to download those two uh, studies I mentioned. uh, Milgram's uh, study on obedience from 1963 and uh, Zimbardo's study from 1973, I believe. Uh, uh, the prison, the famous Stanford prison experiment. Remarkable stuff. There's videos on YouTube. You should check them out as well. Uh, it really is remarkable that, that how things escalated the way they did. And that um, you could write a whole article on that study. Well, I do have to actually. <laughs> now that I say it, I have to for college an assignment. So I thought I would uh, blend some of what I'm studying into uh, Sunday letters this week. Hence uh, today's article. So, uh, like I said, you can read that over at LarryGMcGuire.com and download those two studies. I've included them in a link. Uh, a bit later than uh, normal, getting today's Sunday letters out. I just was I was all day doing this bloody article and uh, had some stuff to do this morning, so a little bit delayed, not to worry. Just a quick reminder that the, the daily article will take a bit of a break for the next couple of weeks because I have a lot of work to do for this book, uh, The Artist's Manifesto. So um, I'll be back with the daily article in a couple of weeks' time. In the meantime, I'll still be posting here uh, regular enough. So uh, keep your eye out for that. And uh, thanks for listening in today. If you'd like to support me in my work, uh, keeping this podcast ad-free, and also uh, help me self-publish The Artist Manifesto, jump over to patreon.com forward slash Larry G. McGuire and check out some of the stuff I've got there, some of the rewards I've got for patrons. And uh, I might see you there. Okay, folks, that's it for another episode of The Daily Larb. Thanks for listening in. I've been Larry G. McGuire. Take it easy and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Take care. Bye-bye.